For more information about our teaching and preaching ministry, you can find us online at cornerstoneorlando.org. The following sermon has been brought to you by Cornerstone Orlando, making disciples for the glory of God. The blast of the trumpets, Revelation chapter 8, verses 6 through 13. Uh, This evening, in our verse by verse, section by section exposition of the book of the Revelation, we arrive now at the third of seven literary cycles in the book, the third of seven sections, if you will, in the book. And as we've already discovered in our consideration of this book, the material that John presents here is exceedingly important for the church to understand. Right? This material is so encouraging when you lay hold of what's being communicated here. Very encouraging, very helpful. This is written to us, brothers and sisters. This is written to the church. This is written to us during this time period, in this age, uh, as the church awaits the soon return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's meant to encourage us, meant to exhort us, meant to ad- admonish us. So the content, the material that John presents, exceedingly important. But also, also, The way in which John presents that material, very, very important if we're going to understand the book. Uh, The structure of the book and the way the content is presented adds to our understanding of what's going on. And it's incredibly important, extremely important that we lay hold of that and lay hold of the structure in particular. We're going to look at that tonight uh, to help us understand. Uh, And again, we want to grasp this because it is a blessing to the church. Uh, We're looking at a very particular structure. We're looking at visionary or apocalyptic literature, which is rich in symbolism. Um, All of this leading us to an understanding, if you will, of Old Testament types, typology in the Bible, and their New Covenant or New Testament fulfillments. And we need to understand all this because all of this is meant to encourage us. We are the church, the church militant on earth, as it were, We are in our wilderness wandering, our wilderness testing, and we are meant by God to persevere as a faithful witness of of the Lord Jesus Christ until his return, a faithful witness, a light that shines in a dark place. And in order for the church uh, to be faithful, we need this word from God, right? So in our consideration of Revelation, we've considered the first of seven cycles, the letters to the seven churches. We've considered the second of these seven cycles, the loosing of the seven seals, Tonight, we begin our consideration of the third, and that is the blast of the seven trumpets. Now, it it bears repeating, if you'll think through this structure with me, it bears repeating that these literary cycles overlap one another. They overlap. As we'll see again, they cover essentially the same ground, the period in which we now live from the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the last days. Uh, Paul would say to Timothy, perilous times are coming, right? These are the perilous times that Paul was referring to. Um, These are the last days. And each cycle, as we work through the cycles, each cycle recapitulates, if you will, that period. It's um, a, a parallel perspective on that period between the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and his return. And with each recapitulation, with each parallel perspective, we're inched a little closer, closer and closer to the end of the age. And finally, at the end of Revelation, inched close enough to a description of the age to come at the end of the book. Now you can see all of that 
that overlapping recapitulation, if you will, in the way that John records the visions of the seals and the trumpets. And I want to show you that tonight. You'll notice as we work through this cycle that the first four trumpets are roughly parallel to the first four seals. Again, another perspective on a similar, on the same period of time. The four horsemen roughly parallel with the first four trumpets. And that parallelism or that recapitulation is discerned most clearly in the structure. Now think about this with me. The first four seals poured out in chapter 6 by the four horsemen involved calamity and catastrophe upon the earth. Okay? And particular, particularly calamity, catastrophe poured out upon those who dwell on the earth. The first horsemen conquering those who dwell on the earth. The second taking peace from the earth, the third, sending famine on the earth, and the fourth, sort of summarizing the others, bringing death, and bringing death by sword, by hunger, by pestilence, and by beasts. Well, the trumpets then, the first four trumpets, are roughly parallel to those poured out by the first four horsemen in Revelation chapter 6. In the sounding of the four trumpets, John is also giving a, given a vision of catastrophic events that take place on the earth. Okay, the first trumpet affects the land, verse 7. A third of the trees burned up and all of the green grass. The second trumpet affects the sea, that's in verse 8. A third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third trumpet then affects the rivers, verse 10. They became bitter as wormwood, and many died drinking the water. The fourth trumpet then affects the heavens, verse 12. A third of the sun, the moon, and the stars, a day and night were cut short. So the first four trumpet judgments roughly parallel to the first four seal judgments. Those both dealing with catastrophe or calamity upon the earth. In other words, it's a recapitulation of the same period from a different perspective. Okay, We're looking at the same period from a different perspective. Let's add to that now, okay? The fifth seal in chapter 6, the fifth seal gave us a perspective from heaven. In the fifth seal, we see the martyred saints under the altar crying out to God, God, how long? How long, holy and true, before you avenge our blood upon those who dwell on the earth? And it's, it's the prayers of the saints then that precede final judgment and the day of the Lord in Revelation chapter 6, Okay? Likewise, think about the fifth trumpet then with me. The fifth trumpet in chapter 9, again, gives us a perspective from heaven. A star falls from heaven. We'll soon discuss who that is and why. Okay? To him was given the key to the bottomless pit, and heaven, as it were, unleashes judgment upon the earth through this fallen star. And like the fifth seal, the fifth trumpet precedes then final judgment and the day of the Lord. Moving forward then in the, in the cycle, the sixth seal and the sixth trumpet both give us a look at the day of the Lord from the perspective of those unbelievers who dwell on the earth. Then both the sixth seal and the sixth trumpet are followed by an interlude, a pause. We have an interlude in both of these cycles. And again, an interlude in which we see two depictions of the church. We'll look at that as we get to chapter 11. The church militant on earth, as we saw in the 144,000 arrayed for battle, and the church triumphant, those clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand, praising the Lord in Revelation chapter 7. Both an interlude in both cycles. All right? 
after that pause or after that parenthesis, that interlude, we see depicted then the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ on the very precipice of eternity. Revelation chapter 6, it's described this way. At the end of the cycle of the seals, Revelation 6 verse 17, the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? At the end of the cycle of trumpets, Revelation chapter 11 verse 15, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So at the end of both cycles then, we see the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in judgment. And then, again, think with me, at the end of the cycle of seals, the cycle of seals ends with this statement in chapter 8, verse 5. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. As we'll see, that's theophanic language. It's a theophany, the presence of God. God showing up in power at the end of the cycle of seals in Revelation chapter 8, verse 5. And then at the end of the cycle of trumpets, we see this statement in chapter 11, verse 19. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. Does that sound familiar? Okay, so both cycles then ending with the very same language. What we're seeing, brothers and sisters, is a recapitulation. We're seeing individual cycles, those cycles covering similar ground, ground or time from the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and both cycles recapitulating parallel material um, uh, from different perspectives, okay? Each cycle dealing with catastrophic temporal judgments poured out upon the earth, each ending with language that is characteristic of the last day, the day of the Lord, those cosmic disturbances, if you will. And with that, I hope that that, that structure becomes clear to you. All right? We're dealing with seven literary cycles. We're in the third cycle, the second and third, roughly parallel to one another. Okay, We're covering similar ground, again, from parallel cycles. And so far now in the book, we've covered three cycles. Seven letters to seven churches in the first. The Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of the lampstands. Um, Seven seals, the Lord Jesus Christ enthroned in heaven and executing the decrees written in the scroll. And now, seven trumpets, the Lord executing those judgments upon those who dwell on the earth. And what we're seeing then in the cycles are those events which God in his infinite wisdom has determined for this age. These, what we're going to see as we work through again the trumpets, as we did working through the seals, we're going to see those events, that tribulation, that outpouring of judgment. In the, in the language of Romans chapter 1, that revelation of the wrath of God that God has determined for this age, this age that immediately precedes the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and a full and final judgment at the end of the age. All of these judgments, if you will, pointing forward to that one. And in, in essence, warning that judgment is going to fall. Uh, very similarly to uh, the call to repentance, the call to worship this morning in 2 Kings. Josiah receives the word from the prophetess that judgment's going to fall. It's going to fall. Because Josiah humbles himself, God delays that judgment for a period of time and says that Josiah is not going to see it because he humbled himself before God. But no question, make no mistake, that judgment is absolutely going to fall. We have the same promise from God. Now, that judgment will 
fall. It will fall in God's time. And all of these temporal judgments being poured out on the earth, again in the language of Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God already being present active revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, that judgment, that current, present, active, ongoing revelation of the wrath of God is pointing forward to an ultimate final judgment that is most certainly going to come. So what we're seeing then in these cycles are those events that God has determined for the church age. From the perspective of the first cycle, Revelation reveals the trials and tribulations faced by the church in the time of her testing. Those tribulations, those persecutions faced within the church and persecution, suffering faced from without the church. From the perspective of the second and third cycles, we see the, the temporal judgments of God determined for those who dwell on the earth, poured out upon unbelieving mankind upon the earth. The seals that are loosed to reveal the scroll that Ezekiel says is filled with lamentation and woe, and then the trumpets meant to sound the alarm of a future and final day of judgment. It's important to remember as we think about these as well, that these not, are not meant to depict mere natural disasters. Right, we, don't, we don't look at earthquakes and famines and wars as mere natural occurrences. Right? We know better than that from the Word of God. Suppressing the truth in, un, in their unrighteousness, men have replaced God with things like chance, or whether, which there is no such thing, uh, or Mother Nature. Uh, Mother Nature is responsible for these catastrophes. And so fallen men have replaced the truth that God is sovereign over these things, and they've replaced that truth with the lie that these catastrophes are mere natural occurrences and in no way an indication of God's wrath against sin. And we know better uh, that these things are an indication of God's wrath against sin. When I worked for an insurance company in another life, uh, our, our contracts referred to these occurrences as acts of God. If you read your insurance policy, it refers to these things as acts of God. And so they are. <laughs> they are. <laughs> they are acts of God. But when God acts, when God acts, God acts with purpose. He acts with intentionality. And these catastrophes are brought about by God with purpose. They are brought about intentionally to communicate. They are indications, if you will, of the wrath of God already being revealed. Already being revealed against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth of God in their unrighteousness. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. And they indicate a future judgment that is certainly coming. All these temporal judgments are pointing forward. They will be fulfilled in a final judgment. In which the Lord will judge the, the living and the dead at his appearing... And these, as devastating as they may be, and just think about that. We, we talked about, for example, uh, the revolution in China under Chairman Mao in uh, the middle of the 20th century, where upwards of 80 million people died, half of them from starvation. So we, that boggles the mind. Right? It's difficult for us to get our hands around numbers like that, right? And it's devastating, as absolutely devastating as those temporal judgments and others like them, as devastating as they are, they are but a mere faint shadow of what's coming. They are a mere foretaste of the judgment that is going to come upon this earth. 
It's as though God himself, during this time period, were marching around the Jericho of this world. (laughs) Though God himself, circling the stronghold of the enemy, and he's circling six times, preparing for the seventh, when the walls are going to come down, when the systems of this world, when that whore Babylon is taken out of her place, right? It's interesting that um, he does that in silence before the trumpets blast on the seventh day and the walls come down. We're going to see that as we work through the trumpets. As we'll see, again, these judgments, these judgments bear striking resemblance to those poured out on Egypt at the time of the plagues, at the time of the exodus. And these judgments essentially produce one of two effects. One, they provoke awe and wonder and gratitude and praise in the hearts and minds uh, of God's people. Uh, It caused God's people to fear God, to cling to God in faith, to trust his word. God having sealed them as his own people, they uh, provoke God's people to cling to him more tightly in faith. God preserves them as his own. God refines their faith through difficulty. God works through the difficulty to do them good. Or, or, two, these temporal judgments harden the hearts of unbelievers provoking them to further blasphemy, provoking them to unbelief, like they did Pharaoh at the time of the Exodus. Pharaoh hardening his own heart, God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And they do the same with those who dwell upon the earth. We'll see that in a moment. The lesson here in that is respond in faith. Respond in faith. Trust in Christ. All of these things, as devastating as they are, all of these things are in the sovereign hand, the sovereign control of God Almighty, who is working through his own omnipotence in his providence to bring about all things whatsoever that come to pass for the intention of fulfilling all his decreed purpose. God is in control. God is on the throne. And the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are his. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So this is um, introductory material then that I hope will help you better understand the cycle of trumpets as we get into our text, uh, most likely next week. Further consideration of that introductory material then leads us to consider the Lord's use of trumpets. As with many references in Revelation, this reference to trumpets has a corresponding Old Testament significance. And we see a determined list of the way in which trumpets were to be used in Numbers chapter 10, for example. Turn there with me to Numbers chapter 10. There are many ways in which God has decreed the use of trumpets in the Old Testament. And those ways, uh, those decreed uses for the trumpets help us to understand the use of trumpets now in this cycle of trumpets beginning in Revelation chapter 8. In Numbers chapter 10, look at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, verse 1, saying, Make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. God uses the trumpets to gather the people and to move them, okay? When they blow both of them, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. But if they blow only one, then the leaders of the heads of the divisions of Israel shall gather to you. When you sound the advance, the camps that lie on the east side shall then begin their journey. And when you sound the advance on the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall begin their journey. 
they shall, shall sound the call for them to begin their journeys. When the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but not sound the advance. The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets, and these shall be blown to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations. And when you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies." Also in the day of your gladness, in your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. Right, so it gives us various uses for the trumpets in Old Testament Israel. Trumpets were predominantly, where we see their predominant use in the Old Testament is sounding an alarm predominantly used to sound an alarm. They were blown, certainly, in celebration of a victory or celebration of deliverance. Um, God delivered them from the hands of their enemies. They blew the trumpets. They were used to celebrate the enthronement of Israel's king. When a king was appointed, when a king was anointed, they would blow the trumpets. They were used for the gathering together, the assembling of God's people, in particular, the assembling of God's people to go to war, often for the gathering of the army together for battle. It's in that in the use of trumpets in Revelation chapter 8, also harkens back there to the 144,000. They would have been arrayed under the sound of the trumpets. The trumpets uh, most often, very often used as warnings. They were blown in advance of judgment. Trumpets were an indication in certain contexts of the presence of God in power. Uh, these are the trumpets of our warrior God. And God is communicating something of his warrior spirit, if you will, through the blasts of these trumpets. Now, I've already mentioned one of those uh, in the example uh, at Jericho in Joshua chapter 6. It's interesting, in both Joshua chapter 6, on uh, the account of Jericho, and in Revelation chapter 8, silence precedes the blast of the trumpets. The people are entirely silent while they march around the city, and the priests blast the the trumpets. The first six days, the trumpets are blown as a warning to Jericho that judgment is imminent. And what did, what did Rahab, how did Rahab describe the hearts of the people in the city? The hearts of those people melted. They knew, they had heard of Israel's God, and they uh, expected uh, that Israel's God was going to come through for Israel. Uh, and Rahab describes their heart as melting away. They were fearful. And if you can imagine that scene, all of Israel marching around the city uh, seven days, marching in silence while the priests blasted the trumpets. So then Joshua is essentially saying that the city has been doomed by the Lord to destruction. That's what the Bible clearly says in Joshua 6. Then God comes and acts in power and the walls come down and victory is secured. Right? Likewise, then, if you think about the connection with that account to Revelation chapter 8, the first six trumpets signify only the beginning of sorrows. The trumpets should warn of and are themselves preliminary to a final and decisive judgment that is going to come. At the sounding of the last trumpet, the great city Babylon comes down. And you, you can see in that how there are multiple references then to that trumpet. Those trumpets announce God's victory. The same trumpets that announce judgment upon the city are the same trumpets that are cause for celebration among God's people. Now, in addition to our Jericho example, 
There's also a significant example of the Old Testament use of the trumpet with Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19. Turn there with me. Exodus chapter 19. I think this is a very helpful example to consider with respect to Revelation 8. Exodus 19, look at verse 16. Verse 16. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings, lightnings, and a thick cloud on the mountain. Does that sound familiar? Again, what is that an indication of? That's theophanic language. Um, It's a theophany. Those disturbances accompany the presence of God in power. (laughs) They are indications of God's presence as the lawgiver, as one who should be hallowed, the one who is holy, the one who is just. And so there were thunderings, lightnings, and a thick cloud on the mountain. And verse 16, the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. In Hebrews, in the Hall of Faith, Moses uh, was greatly afraid. There was knee-knocking fear in the camp. It was that kind of an experience. Verse 17, Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the, the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. There we see this earthquake. Verse 19, and when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Now again, these signs signify the presence of God in power, presence of God in justice. He is to be regarded as holy. And the Lord says one of the purposes for this experience at Sinai was so that the people might fear him, that they would not sin against him. It is meant to test his people. The trumpet Again, these various uses of the trumpet. The trumpet summons the people to gather at the mountain. The judgments upon Egypt have been poured out. Israel is being established as a nation before God. He will dwell with them and be their God. His kingdom is being established, if you will, on the earth. And all of that precipitated by these, the blast of the trumpets. Look at Exodus 20. Just turn the page. Exodus 20, verse 18. After the Lord gives the ten words, the laws, the ten commandments at Sinai, Verse 18, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. That element of fear is conveyed in the sounding of the trumpets in Revelation chapter 8. Those displays, those revelations of God's wrath should cause fear in any rational unbeliever. The problem is is that unbelievers are not rational. (laughs) The wrath of God is already being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And how do ungodly men respond to those um, judgments, that those displays, those indications of future judgment, 
They respond by hardening their hearts against God even further, by repeating their blasphemies. Revelation chapter 9, verse 20, listen. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. They continued in their obstinate unbelief and hardened their hearts against God. Therefore, God has determined the first six trumpets to proceed and to point to the seventh. They are described as woes determined against those who dwell on the earth miseries brought upon them by the hand of Almighty God until they are finally destroyed under the seventh trumpet with the brightness of his coming. Now, the rest of the, the, the New Testament, the rest of the Bible also refers to the use of the trumpet, particularly at the end of the age and at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That trumpet, the, the last trumpet, you'll hear that often in Scripture, the last trumpet sounds the alarm. It immediately precedes the coming of the Lord, and the coming of the Lord in judgment, it's blown at the celebration of Lord, uh, the Lord's return in victory. The same trumpet that announces the judgment upon the wicked is the trumpet that um, causes celebration among the people of God. It marks the coming of our king to, consummate, to finally and fully consummate his kingdom. And the blast of the last trumpet marks the gathering together of God's elect. It's like the trumpet that's blown at the jubilee. Look at Leviticus 25. Leviticus chapter 25. There is the connection between this last trumpet blown at the coming of the Son of Man and the blowing of the Jubilee trumpet in Leviticus chapter 25. Look there at verse 8. So he says to the the people, verse 8, you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, and again, what do we know from Revelation regarding the symbolism of the number seven? It refers to completion, perfection. Things are done, right? Uh, things are wrapped up. Um, things are complete. At the end of this period of time in which God says things are complete, you're to blow the trumpet, right? You shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times, seven years, and the time of the seven, seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the 10th day of the seventh month on the day of atonement. <laughs> oh, these pictures, right, of our salvation, our deliverance by the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Of what the Lord has done for us and what the Lord has secured for us and what will happen when the Lord returns. At the blowing of the last trumpet. It shall be a jubilee for you and each of you shall return to his possession. Each of you shall return to his family. That 50th year shall be a jubilee to you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine. You come to rest. For it is, verse 12, the jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat its produce from the field. That observance of the jubilee in Leviticus 25 is fulfilled in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) 
At the sound of the last trumpet, we will enter our eternal jubilee. Another example, Matthew chapter 24, in verse 29, the Olivet Discourse of our Lord with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. What is that language referring to? God showing up in power. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That is the great trumpet to which the six trumpets point. That is the great trumpet at which the Lord Jesus Christ returns to gather his people. It is the great trumpet at which the Lord will execute judgment upon those who dwell on the earth. By way of application, the trumpets are sounding. As we'll see, working through the text, these trumpets are being sounded. Again, in the words of Paul, from Romans chapter 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is presently, actively being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And those ungodly and unrighteous men are simply suppressing the truth of God in their unrighteousness, in their sin. Not so for you and I, brothers and sisters. We hasten his coming. We anticipate his coming. We're not as those who walk in darkness. We are those who walk in the light. (laughs) So this day will not overtake us as those who walk in darkness. And what are we to do during this time as we hasten the coming, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, you are as (laughs) evangelists. We mentioned mentioned Pilgrim's Progress earlier. We should be warning men to flee the city of destruction. Judgment is imminent, and Rahab is in the city. (laughs) Right? We should be going into the city and pleading with those who dwell on the earth to flee the city of destruction. And incidentally, incidentally, remember, remember what has precipitated the outpouring of these judgments. The cycle of seals concludes with the loosing of the seventh seal and silence in heaven. In that silence, John notices seven angels taking seven trumpets. They've come forward and they prepare themselves to blast the trumpets. In verse 3 then, another angel comes forward, and he offers incense upon the altar of incense. That altar that we saw back in Revelation chapter 6, the altar under which the martyrs are crying out to God in prayer, God, O Lord, how long, holy and true, before you avenge our blood upon those who dwell on the earth, right? They are praying, crying out to God, This angel then steps forward, takes a censer in his hand. He offers up incense upon the altar of incense mixed with the prayers of the saints. And those prayers, that incense ascends before the eyes, before the nostrils, before the ears of God. It's the same altar under which those tribulation martyrs cry. It's with those prayers of the saints 
offered up here by this angel in Revelation chapter 8, ascending to God on his throne, it's upon those prayers that then that angel takes the censer, fills it with fire in Revelation chapter 8 verse 5, and hurls it to the earth. That results in these global disturbances that accompany final judgment. That language of theophany, uh, that which accompanies the presence of God in judgment, namely noises, thunderings, lightnings, and a great earthquake. And it's that action that precipitates the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the judgment of God upon those who dwell on the earth. And then the trumpets begin to sound. The trumpets begin to sound. What does that indicate to us? It indicates that God answered their prayer. God answers the prayers of his saints. We discussed that this morning in our look at Romans chapter 8 and our glorification with that example from Jonathan Edwards um, decreeing rain. God decreeing rain. And if God decrees rain, then he decrees the prayers of his people to bring the rain. Or, Or if God decrees the prayers of his people in a time of difficulty, a time of drought, then he decrees the drought to bring about the prayers of his people. Do you see? In order to bring the rain. God decrees both the means and the ends. God has decreed that it will be through the prayers of his people. The prayers of his people hasten the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is a return in judgment upon those who dwell upon the earth. And it's a time when the Lord Jesus Christ will come to gather together his elect from the four corners of the earth and gather them to glory. So what is the lesson in that, brothers and sisters? Uh, We should pray. And we should pray that our great intercessor will offer up our prayers in the, in the incense that ascends from that altar uh, before the throne of God himself, knowing in faith that God himself hears and answers and will accomplish that which we've asked. He'll give us that which we've asked because it's in accord with his word. We see it right here in Revelation chapter 8. Do you see? So brothers and sisters, we should be praying. We need to be persevering. We need to be enduring. And while we're persevering and while we're enduring, we need to be praying. We need to be a praying people. Obeying, loving, preaching the gospel, right? Preaching the gospel to the Rahabs in the city and praying. Praying, Lord, come quickly for his glory. He's the only one who can straighten out this mess, amen? (laughs) Pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you. Thank you for, um, thank you for Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 7, Revelation chapter 8. Thank you, Lord, for the depiction, the vision of John, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the only one worthy to take the scroll, loosing the seals and beginning to execute the judgments contained in the seals. Thank you, Lord, for um, that vision of John, of you, our Heavenly Father, um, seated upon the throne in glory. Thank you, Lord, for how all of this encourages the church encourages your your people to persevere through difficulty, to persevere through suffering and trial and tribulation and anguish. Lord, strengthen us. Help us, Lord, by your Spirit to take encouragement from these texts. Help us, Lord, to uh, heed um, your word and to fix our gaze upon these things that we might be encouraged to be a faithful and persevering witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, during this time as we anticipate your soon return. 
And Lord, come quickly, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. My name is Mark Brashear, and I have the blessed privilege of serving with the Saints at Cornerstone Church near Orlando, Florida. We're so grateful that you've connected with us through the sermon that you've just heard. For more information, visit us at cornerstoneorlando.org. Or better yet, come and see us on the Lord's Day at 3370 Snow Hill Road in Oviedo, Florida. We're just east of Orlando and about 15 minutes from the campus at UCF. It would be a joy to have you worship with us.